Hey everyone, it is Scott Withers and Justin Anderson here once again with your year-round disc golf podcast. Sorry, I can't talk today apparently. Um, We are back in tournament season. I am pumped. I picked up another win last weekend, thankfully. Thought I was going to get kind of ran out at the end by our buddy Ryan Robinson, but come down to the end and thankfully held on. Uh, It was fun to get back out there, wasn't it? It was definitely good to see everyone back out there. Everyone was kind of in a like a good spirit. They're, everyone's kind of excited to be back competing. And, you know, it's just a different feeling when you're on the first tee of a tournament versus playing just a round with your friends. And definitely those first couple 25 to 30-foot birdie putts are, are a little more nerve-wracking. And I like that, I like that feeling and kind of uh, – my situation was a little different just because I stepped up and did the TD thing. So even though I feel like I got to practice more than most TDs did, but, you know, right before the tea time, I was trying to get a hold of one guy that didn't show up. So instead of like being completely locked in, I'm worried about people showing up and signing everything. So, but it is good to be back and we have a couple tournaments lined up and it's going to be definitely an exciting June. Yeah, you got to experience for the first time, really, the joys of being a tournament director and trying to play in an event. Now, obviously, we had 25 people, and you didn't do a players' meeting and didn't do awards and that kind of stuff, so there was a load taken off of your plate with it. But it is. It's one of those things that being a TD and playing in your tournament is not not an easy thing to do, to go out, be ready, and like come out in that first round firing. And I know you were a little flat coming out of the gate in the first round. I was definitely a little flat, and it was one of those things where, you know, like you said, it's a small field. I had everything prepared the night before, and really it was just that one player that didn't show up and didn't call or text or anything and didn't respond. And it was like one of those things where I I was more frustrated at the player because I kind of gave him, uh, you know, a friend, like, hey, go ahead, pay me day of, it's okay. You know, we've been friends for a long time. And then we're six holes in the tournament. Like, we're staying on a whole nine's tee pad. And I finally get a message from Chris saying, you know, hey, my alarm just went off. Sorry, I'm not going to make it, I guess. And And then that pissed me off. So, like, you know, I'm in the middle of our first round. And I'm pissed off about something that's not, you know, involved with my play. Obviously, it's involved with the tournament, but it's taking my mind away from focusing on throwing good shots and making putts. So, like you said, it is I'm, – I'm a new TD. This was my second sanctioned event as a TD. And the first one was, you know, I did the whole shebang in the middle of the rain and had the bags for scorecards and – you know, it was a lot more difficult to run than this tournament. I had to DQ a player for not following the rules. And so this tournament, in that case, was kind of a cakewalk. You know, I had payouts done, and the official report was in by 4.30. So, I mean, that was pretty good. But like you said, it's never easy playing an event that you're running. Your mind's just other places when, you know, if you're really – going to compete for the win you need to be all in on playing yeah and with running three or well this year i'm going to run a lot more than three 
obviously, because we got to get tournaments in somehow, so it's going to be us stepping up to run a lot of them. But traditionally, we run three B tiers a year, and the out of the three, NUI is probably our marquee event, I would say. And that's not the hardest one to run because we run tee times with it. So you have a team around you. Zach Jones is honestly the best co-TD in the world. That guy is incredible when it comes to just helping us out and just sitting at the table and knowing the rules and knowing what's going on and keeping things moving. So that one's not super hard to prepare for, but those ones where Sandy, I'm open is brutal. Like I don't, I don't even know if I should play in that, but thankfully I'm able to have enough help around that we can make it work, but you don't throw any warm up shots. Your mind is not focused on your playing at all. It's focused on the million things that can go right or wrong with 140 players that are out on two golf courses that you had to set up the day before. Like there's a million moving parts to that one. And then Oktoberfest is kind of similar to what you ran this weekend with a few more players where it's a pretty laid back feel. Most of the guys playing in an event come Halloween time at the end of the season are ones that know what they're doing. You're not teaching much. You don't have to worry about players being new to the game, I would say. And like, not knowing what they're doing in the course, but yeah, running a pro only event with no scorecards because we all have, we have to do them digitally now and that kind of stuff. It's got to be like dream scenario for a TD because a, I know that I'm preparing to run one next weekend and you're helping out with one this upcoming weekend, man, it takes like half the issues out because now UDisc is going to do the dang scoring for people and they can't mess their scorecard up as long as they type the right number in. That was really the beauty of it was everything was streamlined I mean, like I said, I had scores in it and the official report done by 4.30 and everybody was already home and paid. Like, that's about as streamlined as it gets. And just having a pro-only tournament to kind of bounce back after this COVID break was kind of what we needed. Um, you know, majority of the field were all pretty good friends, I would say, like over half the field. And then you saw some guys that, you know, we normally play tournaments with, but they jumped on the chance to play a tournament. And, you know, 25 people is a really small field. And we didn't have registration through four disc or disc golf scene. So it was kind of one of those things where it was put together last second. And, you know, the 25 spots filled in five minutes and there was seven or eight people on a wait list. And, and then the one one person doesn't show up day of, and then we don't get to fill that spot. So it's just kind of, I don't know. I'm I'm probably a little salty about that. I'll let it go. But I think uh, I think running a tournament is is fun. I obviously didn't play well, but it was it wasn't hard to run a tournament like that. But when anytime you have over 100 players, like you're saying, and you don't have the crew to help you with assistant TDs and setting courses, it gets a nightmare. But Running a course at a turn at a or running a tournament at a course where there's already T signs, all the work's done for you. All you have to do is set up cards. Isn't that bad? So if someone's listening and wants to run a C tier, um, give it a shot. And you know, if you need help, reach out. But really, don't don't be afraid. It's not that hard. And Oregon needs more TDs, and there's a lot of cool courses that can be played. And we just someone's got to step up and run the events. Yeah, and, and like you're referencing, someone doesn't show up to your event after you do the really cool thing, which is like, oh, dude, okay, like, 
you haven't paid me yet. I'm not going to worry about it. I know you're good for it. And then they don't show up. You kind of take it personally because you have people on the waiting list that are ready to get in and you have people that want to play. And then it's like, well, there goes that trust. We're done. You're not ever getting that. Um, you're not ever getting that privilege for me again. I crack down a little more than most tournament directors probably do on it. Even you guys that are my best friends, I say, sign up on this golf scene because I'm not dealing with taking money coming from a bunch of different directions and stuff. And I've been burned like, like you're talking about. I've been burned by people that I think are my best friends and I think I trust them. And then all of a sudden they don't show up, they haven't paid and we're done. Like that's it. And a couple of years ago, I just went to the stance of, nope, we're everyone signing up online. I don't care if you're my best friend or you're, I don't, I've never met you before. Like we're just all going through that process. So, uh, you ended up sneaking into the cash. Second round was a little better than your first, I take it. I Obviously, we played together in the first round on the random cards, but then uh, second round we didn't get to. So how'd your second round go? So the second round uh, started off it's kind of one of those, uh, you know, you take a quick break and you don't really throw anything for a little bit, and then you got to walk halfway across the course because I'm on the fifth card. And it's it's kind of interesting starting a course that far, you know, in the middle. Because, you know, we're so used to being at the top and starting the the course on hole one through three. But, you know, I started the course on hole 10. And it's a really hard starting, cor- or starting hole for a course. And, you know, I missed a putt for birdie. And then I made a couple birdies and got a couple bogeys. And then I found myself over par. And I remember I was one over par and I had like a 25 foot birdie putt, which is something that I'd already missed. Like, I, well, it felt like a hundred times that day, but really it was more like 10 times. And I put a perfect putt that's just barely like, you know, hyzering in right side chain spits through the back. And it was just one of those moments where like, you know it's not your day when you get a dead center spit through mm-hmm. the back. And that would have brought me back to even par. And I ended up shooting, I think, four down. Four down or five down, I can't remember. But I just remember being really pissed off and already playing really bad and having to birdie like six of the last eight or six of the last ten to finish five down. So it was better than the first round. I don't think I was throwing the disc as well as the first round. The first round, I just couldn't make a putt if it meant my life. And the second round, I didn't throw as well, but I made more putts. And it kind of, yeah, disc golf is funny like that, where you bounce back and the thing that you're doing well the first round, you don't really do that well the second round. And the thing you're doing poorly the first round, you excel in the second round. And, you know, you crawl your way into, I think, was it like ninth? Ninth place, second last cash. Let's go, mm-hmm. keeping the streak alive. <laughs> yeah, we. I don't think when we played together in that first round, we didn't throw the disc that much differently. Honestly, the the difference was I made putts, including a couple bigger putts, and you didn't make you know make those twenty five footers that you need to cash in on. And then frustration starts to set in, kind of towards the end of a round like that which is totally natural for it to happen, especially when you're trying to compete to win a tournament and you're playing with players or against players that you know, like, I don't get to miss putts because if that happens and I'm watching the player next to me make all the 25 and 30 footers, 
like it's nothing like they should be doing, the pressure starts to mount real quick and you can feel kind of the tournament slip away early and it's easy to get frustrated and that doesn't necessarily help. Um, but it is, you know, one of those things to come back from. You find your way back into it in the second round and Hyders is a place that we've talked about the last couple months on uh, the podcast quite a bit and it's a course that there's no forgiveness on the lines are super tight if you're not hitting them you're in tough shape and I got done that first round and I was like oh, okay like I didn't play great but I felt like I scored in all the opportunities that I had to score and then I had like three crazy scramble pars which were a really big part of being able to shoot nine down and not have any bogeys in that first round and it ended up being 10 40 something low 10 40s or whatever. So it was a good round. Um, and then going into the second round, Chris Nelson had also shot nine. He came back up to the car after his round, after his first round. He was like, that was the best round I've ever played. I don't even care what anyone else did. He's like, I was like, what did you shoot? And he's like, 47. I go, oh, me too. And he just goes, damn it. I couldn't even beat you. And I like, literally played the best round I've ever played. And I was joking with him because it's just kind of one of those rounds that hiders. I was like, I didn't even feel like I played that good. But nine down's a really good score out there took advantage, scored when you didn't play great. You definitely have days where you play good, though, and don't score. So it's, like you said, golf or disc golf's a funny game when it comes to that. Dave's is challenging in the way where, like you said, the lines are hard, but, you know, if you get to 30 feet, you don't necessarily have a flat putt for birdie. You could be on a knee doing, like, a, a horseshoe putt or a turbo or – it just sometimes, you know, disc golf's a funny game and you're throwing the disc well and, you know, you might have some of the, the harder putts you've ever had in one round just because uh, Dave's just offers that kind of challenge. And like you said, you're nine down. You didn't feel like you played that well, but you had a couple of really nice scrambles for pars. And you also, I think you, you know, you missed a putt for like, 35 feet to start the round on hole three and then you had a couple of nice easy tap-ins and anytime you can have those low stress birdie putts on a stressful course it's just it really helps you build that round just because if you if you have stressful putt after stressful putt in the first nine holes it's almost like it just drains your mental energy for the back nine of that first round but you know Dave's is beautiful like that I thought the ratings they're probably a little fair. I guess I'm just, you know, I threw a 975 or four rated around the first round, and I thought to myself, you know, it seemed a little low. But then when I really thought about it, I just felt like it was a bad round, and that's probably what it should have been rated. But on your round with Chris, that nine down, like he said, he he felt like that's the best round of his life. And I know what he's talking about because a nine down at Dave's versus a nine down at Blue Lake or even really, I guess maybe not a nine down at Milo. I, I mean, I've shot nine down at Milo before and it's just kind of, it's hard golf, but Dave's golf is, is a different kind of golf just because if you don't hit your fairway on a hole, you don't just have an easy pitch up for par. Like you might have to throw the most amazing scramble shot of your life and, and still hit a 40 foot par putt. So I just love 
I love the course because it's so stressful and it challenges you as a player. And you might only throw five discs the whole tournament just because it's your straightest fairway and your straightest mid and a nice overstable forehand disc and then a putter and a. But it's just one of those courses where you have to be on your game and you have to throw straight shots and you have to be able to scramble because you you could easily double bogey any hole on that course. You can double bogey any hole and you can double bogey him real quickly. So it just kind of adds up. But we went in that second round and Chris and I were tied. Ryan Robinson was one back. Chris was kind of flat in the second round, was never really in it. But both Ryan and I started and we were five down through eight. Uh, we got up to the top of the hill. And we're sitting at five under. And then the course gets hard. And I would say Ryan played okay through the hard section. And I played not great through the hard section. And ended up having like a three or four hole stretch where what happens at that course, any course that's super, super wooded like that, is I felt like three or four holes in a row I threw shots that weren't that bad and they kicked into just terrible places. And I end up going like bogey, par, par, bogey or something in four holes. And then Ryan goes like par, par, birdie, par. And then birdies the fifth hole of that stretch, which was hole uh, 15. Yeah, hole 15, so with four holes to go, he birdies, and I par, and we were tied at that point, so he takes the lead by one. We step up on 16, which has a fence area that you have to throw it over, basically. It's like a weird forehand flex shot, but kind of a cool hole the way it sets up. Ryan does the unforgivable and throws it straight into the fence out of bounds, or not into the fence, but into the fence area out of bounds, and now he's faced with a 55 or 60-foot downhill death putt from the drop zone to save um, to save his par, and I threw it to like 10 feet on the forehand, so I'm going to make my birdie. And then Ryan, doing what he does, steps up and just throws it straight in the heart from 55 feet going downhill or whatever that drop zone is. And all of a sudden, we're tied with two to play. So we get up on 17, and I throw first. And 17 is like a 330-foot, maybe just a little less than that, slightly uphill. Plays pretty well for a forehand. I know you like it for the forehand. It suits yours a little better than it does mine. I consistently turn my forehand over into the trees on the left on that hole, and I can't really figure out why, but I keep doing it. So I went a little flippier this time, and I actually threw it on hyzer and tried to stand one up with my cloud breaker, and I ended up like 35 feet upright of the basket on not a very good throw. And Ryan, that hole's made for him. He threw it right into the basket. So now I'm faced with basically the same situation he had the hole before. It was like, now you got to make this outside the circle pot, although mine was a little closer and a little easier but you have to make this to stay tied. And then we're going into 18 next. And thankfully I was able to kind of focus and throw a putt that was a little high right in the basket, but it hit a lot of chains and ended up sucking into the basket. Ryan taps in. We're tied going into 18. Um, 18 is a 240 foot, 250 foot maybe. Like for me, it's a stud straight shot that kind of fades left at the end and just has to weave through a couple of trees. Ryan was throwing a zone for him, which is a weird weird shot but he kind of throws weird shots and I threw the backhand to like 15 feet but we didn't know it was that close because um, I kind of hit short and took a pretty good skip he throws forehand and it ends up being about 25 feet and then he steps up on the last putt with some people kind of making some noise in the background and ends up missing the 25 footer which is not how I wanted to win and not how I wanted it to go down but he steps up and missed a putt that he should have made and then I stepped up and just tossed in the 15 footer and I was telling him after I was like man if this is non-sanctioned because you got razzed by those guys 
I was like, I might have just laid that in the ground and we could have went to a playoff because I didn't want to win like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, you play 36 holes in those tournaments and the last shot's not more important than a shot in the middle of the round, but it sure feels like it when someone misses a putt that's inside the circle on the last hole to not end up pushing you into a playoff. Yeah, Davis is a little weird with uh, so many holes and fairways and walkouts kind of intersecting, but that's just kind of, you know, it's not, it's a private property. So someone's making the 18 out of, out of, uh, you know, what they have. So, and I guess, I don't, Ryan, Ryan had said something to me, but he didn't say anything to anyone else. And people were talking to me and then they said, be quiet, be quiet. And I just remember watching Ryan putt and he missed, but I like, I don't know. I guess I didn't see where everyone was at, but uh, it kind of sucks that he got razzed. I didn't, I didn't realize it even that he got razzed until like 30 minutes later or whatever. But it's one of those situations where I don't even know. I think everybody was just so like, there was like, you know, over half the field was, was standing right there. And it's kind of, well, I guess over half the field doesn't really mean anything. It's only like 14. Yeah. Guys, yeah. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it, yeah, that's unfortunate. I didn't realize that until really just now. But he, he came up and said something to me, and he didn't say anything to anyone else. And I always feel like people in Oregon kind of choose me as the scapegoat because I don't I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. But there was more than one person talking, so it's really weird when someone signals you out, especially when I wasn't talking and I watched him putt and I watched him miss. So it is a bummer, but he played really well. And like you said, he throws weird shots, and it's a course where you have to be able to throw a backhand straight, and he probably only threw one backhand around, and all the rest were forehands or forehand rollers. So it's kind of a a weird way of approaching a course where everyone kind of thinks you need to be able to throw a forehand and a backhand, and he just kind of did it all with his forehand. Yeah, and... To clarify, the conversations I had with him weren't about you at all. It was about a different group of guys that were considerably closer to him than you were. But it is what it is. It sucks. It was it was kind of a silly thing to have happen at the end of a tournament. But Ryan took it well and moved on. And I know that – is he playing in your Camp Serene event this weekend? I guess tell us what's going on with that. So the Camp Serene event, he has signed up and – Ryan is one of the few people in the world that we allow to sign up before the event by not paying because um, we love Ryan, but he's a child and doesn't have a, a bank account or a PayPal or anything. But we know he's good for it, and we know he's dying to play, so he's in. And the Camp Serene tournament's a little different because we tried to make it accessible to everyone and the way to make it safe for a large group of people and allowing everyone to play is doing tea times and uh you know tea times one round a day isn't bad but depending on where you live to the course and the weather is not going to be very good saturday so i think it might be scaring some people away but you know camp serene is one of those courses where you don't have to throw 500 feet to compete and the holes are tough. It definitely has a Dave's kind of vibe to it. It's on a private property. You know, you might throw a lot of putters and mids and touchy forehands, but 
you know, they're challenging holes and, and the guy that's helping me run the tournament, Jeff Corns, he wanted to get Ams the chance to play and he's going to run the script. And really his, he said his goal was he loves it when someone wins a division and then in amateur, either it be an intermediate or advanced or female advanced and they walk away with a stack of sweet plastic. And he says that is like, to him, one of the cooler things. And I have to, I have to agree because when I played amateur, I loved walking away with like 12 discs or something. Like some of them I might have never thrown, but like, you're like, I won 12 discs, this is amazing. And, you know, Serene is one of those places where if you get a bunch of AMs out there, you know, you could walk away with a win and, um, Jeff's got, a, I mean, he's got thousands of discs. So, you know, just the ability for, or the chance for an AM to come play a tournament, win a bunch of plastic, and, you know, kind of feel good about their 2020 season is, you know, coming up this weekend. And hopefully people sign up and get a chance to play. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, it's weird for me not to play a sanctioned event that's, in the area, I'm not playing this weekend. It's my birthday weekend, and I'm going to. Um, oh, there we are. Uh, it's my birthday weekend this weekend, so I'm not playing Camp Serene. I basically just didn't want to drive down there back to back days. Uh, I would say the weather forecast doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm definitely not one to shy away from rain rounds, and I think that's a pretty well known thing. I don't really care about playing in bad weather, but. With it being my birthday weekend and the fact that I've never played Camp Serene, I was just going to take a weekend off um, and then get back at it next weekend at Alton Baker. I knew the weather wasn't a, an issue for you. And once I knew it was your birthday weekend and you were planning on doing something Saturday, I kind of just, I mean, I didn't count you out just because I know you like to play, but I know, you know, it's your birthday and you have friends coming over and there's going to be a barbecue and so that's all cool. And I know I'm taking the weekend of the 13th and 14th off where Jesse Tomato's running. Well, right now there's 115 players signed up for his Columbia Cup tournament at McCormick. So, I mean, that's one of those events that's not too far away. I might think about playing it. But, um, you know, it's good, even though we've had a couple of weeks off with the, the 4th of July coming up and it being your birthday, it is nice to spend some time with your family and kind of just relax. Yeah. And I, I think the 13th and 14th, there's still a large group of us that are going to go down to whistlers. Cause that was supposed to be whistlers doubles weekend that obviously got canceled, but we all have our reservations and stuff and there's no better place to spend a weekend camping than with buddies down at whistlers. So I think that's what we're doing that weekend. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm interested with these people that are trying, like the Jesse Tomato, like trying to put a hundred people on a course in a weekend. I feel like that's kind of pushing it at this point, but who knows? Um, you're running Serene this weekend. So is there still spots in that? If, if anyone's listening to this on Friday, could you still sign up for that? There's definitely spots available. Uh, probably going to be day of spots. Maybe, I don't know, hundred percent sure for day of. But, you know, Friday night, for sure, sign up. You know, we want people to have fun and play some disc golf. And so we're trying to make it as available as possible. And then the next weekend, which it will end up being on June 7th, which is a Sunday, 
I've been working with Mark uh, down at Alton Baker, and we are going to run a pro-only seat here down there, which I have, I think, 44, 48 spots held for people to play. And not surprising, we had 28 MPO spots, and those are full. They filled almost immediately. And then we have eight masters, pro master spots, MP40 spots. Those are full. They filled pretty quickly, like in a day. And then we have, I say, four spots for MP50, because I always have people, the older group always is like, why don't we have spots? Why don't we have spots? Two out of the four spots right now are filled for that. And then I saved eight spots for the ladies, and we currently have zero ladies signed up, which isn't surprising. I hope they will. Like, we're trying to save spots and trying to uh, include them in what we're doing, but you got to sign up for us so we can keep keep putting those spots out there. If it comes to, like, next Wednesday, I'll probably pull spots from the wait list if I don't have any ladies signed up and we'll fill them but that'll give them a full week and a half to get signed up for something. If they can't do that, then I'll probably move on to a different direction, but we would love to have some ladies out of Alton Baker. Mark's been super cool. He's going to make sure that the property is in tip-top shape for us. He's going to uh, put baskets in some of the harder settings out at Alton Baker because it can get a little short and easy, but it's going to be kind of a pro showcase, and the field is pretty stacked. I know that there's a couple thousand rated players. Dustin's Keegan's first on the wait list. Becker's on the wait list. There's some other good players that will probably end up getting in if, if spots don't fill, but I think I have 11 or 12 players in the wait list right now and 38 players officially in the tournament. I was going to cap it under 50 for sure just because of social distancing and stuff. And honestly, the formats we're running now is I'm going to post everything online the night before. It's a player's responsibility. They have a choice. They can either come up to the table and check in with me or they can text my phone that, hey, I'm at Alton Baker, I'm here, I don't want them to actually text me until they get to the park, so I make sure that they're there. But then they're going to know their whole assignments. They're going to be responsible to read all the players' information uh, from players' meeting stuff online the day before. And then 8.58 is two-minute warning, 9 o'clock is tea time, and that's when we're going. So that's kind of how I think you're going to see some tournaments be for a while. I don't hate it. It makes life a lot easier on a tournament director. I post all that stuff the day before anyways for events that we're running, it's going to be posted online, and we're saying it in the players' meeting. So it's one less step for me. And then at the end, you get done, um, do your thing at lunch. You get about 45 minutes, and then come back, and I will have posted all the tea times on the Facebook event page, so people will have to check that um, to find out what hole and stuff they're on, and I'll probably handwrite them on a piece of paper and like slap them on the table or something so they can go check. But then there will also be a time listed on that, a two-minute warning time, a start time. And then afterwards, players don't have to stay around. It doesn't matter if you take first place or – 25th place like there's no reason to stay around because we're not doing an actual award ceremony i'm not doing trophies or anything like that we're just doing i'll do payout by paypal and then we're done so that's kind of how the format's going to go if we're not doing tea times at this point this might actually be my favorite way of playing a tournament and i know you're the same way and Nothing against player meetings, but sometimes TDs take the players meeting to stand on a soapbox and kind of, I don't know, some t- some players meetings take forever and, you know, you could be in the zone going into this players meeting and you go from being warmed up and ready to play to cold and maybe frustrated with what was said at the players meeting. So, I'm a big fan of the no players meeting, pro only tournaments. 
they're just easy because we all know the rules. We all know where we're at. We all know what needs to happen. You know, we don't need an hour and a half of lunch. We play, we get out of there. We spend as much time with our friend, our family after. So I'm, I'm, I like how you are running it. It's very similar to how I did it. The only thing that I did differently was it was such short notice that I had everyone sign their COVID waiver at the table, but that was only because I didn't have time to send it all out to everyone and have them digitally sign it and send it back. But I love streamlined tournaments. Like you said, it's going to be so efficient. You know where you're going the night before, you know, the rules the night before, you know, what time you have to be there, what's expected of you. And everyone's just going to show up, do their thing play disc golf, and then go home. In a selfish way, I hope this is the way it stays with no players meetings before and everything posted online. We play so many events, especially the two of us, that it's very repetitive, and especially for tournaments where they're pro-only tournaments or whatever, they're just not needed. Post the whole rules online to make sure that we know exactly what we're playing by and make sure that people know those are the official rules. Or something that they got to print out so you can make sure that we're all playing by the same rules on certain holes and stuff, but there's no need to get a 25 or 30 minute lecture on like how the course plays and what the PDGA rules are and stuff. There's places for that and there's tournaments for that, but what we're doing currently doesn't need it. So it's, it's kind of nice as we move forward to have things going in a faster direction. I get that we do need, and people do want award ceremonies moving forward. They're just not going to be part of it now, but I, I suspect, tournament directors will kind of get creative and probably do little uh, YouTube slash Facebook videos to give shout outs to the winners for each division and that kind of stuff. So I, I could see that being uh, how it works moving forward, but um, you have anything else coming up, anything else you want it to touch on? I have one more event that I'm going to give a teaser to, but I can't give too much information about it yet. I just hope that people sign up for this uh, tournament at Serene this weekend I know the weather might not be the best Saturday, but it's going to be a good time. Um, just just the, the environment at Serene is really good. I've, hopefully there will be some barbecue for lunch or just, you know, before your tea, tea time or after your tea time. It's just uh, I love James. He's the guy who lives on the course and really does a lot of work out there. And, you know, he deserves, you know, people, people love his course. And I feel like to – kind of pay him back for all his respect is he loves tournaments being played there he kind of loves hearing the you know the bad breaks and the good breaks that the course gives you and it's gonna be a good time hopefully be able to play and i hopefully you know it's like you said for your tournament it's tough holding spots for divisions just because you know there's so many mpo players that want to play disc golf so bad right now and you did make it fair for other divisions to get a shot to play. And hopefully they take advantage of it. But, you know, there's some really good players on that wait list. And Dustin Keegan at Alton Baker, if he has a good day, could be really hard to beat. So, you know, hopefully he gets in. And because, you know, it's, I always like playing against the best competition. So having Keegan in there will, will feel better. But... Yeah, tell us about uh, maybe possibly a B-tier coming up. Yeah, so we've got one in the works. Uh, we don't know the date specifically yet. We're working on late June, and I don't 
we're trying to go through some of the um, some of the requirements from the parks department. This is a course in Southern Oregon that does not get the credit that it ever deserves. It's at Tom Pierce Park in Grants Pass, most Oregon disc golfers just don't go south of Whistler's Bend. And it's a shame because Tom Pierce is a legitimate course. In my mind, it's up there with the Buxtons and the Willamette Mission State Parks or the Wheatlands, whatever you want to call that one. Um, and the, it's better than like the McCormick's and I don't know. There's there's so many courses that Tom Pierce in my mind is better than. And then it's in that second tier. It's not your Whistlers. It's not your Blue Lake. It's not your Milo. It's not your Trojan. But it's in the tier that's right under that with a lot of good courses, like I would say the Dexters. Uh, maybe Bryant's a little better, but not a ton better. It's with the Adairs. It's, you know, that's kind of the group that I consider Tom Pierce in. And it doesn't get any love just because it's so far south. We're really working at putting a cool event on down there. Uh, I'm working with John Youngbar, who is a guy that lives down there, who's ran a few events recently, um, who's very involved in the disc golf scene in Southern Oregon. He has a very good relationship with the park. We're trying to get another part of the park reserved so it maybe can be like a one round of 27 every day where we have nine on the other side that we use for our winter series event already. And then the 18 holes at Tom Pierce, we're working on maybe some camping at the park, like not a spoiler alert yet because we haven't been approved, but we're really trying to make it a full weekend. And Josephine County Parks, in the I mean, that's the county that Grants Pass is in. They are so supportive of disc golf and they're so supportive of all the things that we've been able to do down at Tom Pierce. It's it's possible. I mean, we're we're waiting on final approval, but that's one that if like NUI doesn't happen because the park shut it down or something, if this happens, this is a tournament that no one's going to regret going to. That I think it might take people a little bit of time to sign up for. Are people that are from the Portland area? Yeah, it's a drive. But if we can get camping down there for the weekend, I think it really helps to alleviate some of that like travel pressure and stuff. We're working on it. I'm not sure when the date's going to be yet. I can tell you if NUI doesn't happen, I'm going to try to replace it with that weekend. But if NUI is going to happen, I'm going to try to do it in late June and then try to do NUI also in mid-July. So it's possible Tom Pierce deserves a B tier. It's too good of a course to not have one. I just hope people will take my word for it and just think, okay, I recognize that you guys run a bunch of really cool tournaments. You're telling me it's worth playing. I promise it's worth playing. It's such a cool event. And I'm not going to murder you with the settings of that course. Like you can be murdered by Tom Pierce if it's all in the longs, but I'll make sure the course is scorable and fun because Tom Pierce has some really cool settings and some really cool shots when it's in the right places. Yeah. Tom Pierce is definitely a hidden gem and it's one of those courses. Like you said, it's off the beaten path just because Grants Pass is so far from probably the majority of the disc golfers in the state. But the Southern Oregon crew always does a good job. They're, I mean, they're so entertaining to be around if it's either camping or, or playing around with. So I know, I don't know if I'll be able to make it just because I have my one-year anniversary celebration that maybe that weekend. But I would definitely be there if I wasn't tied down like that. But it's a cool opportunity that you said could turn into something bigger in the future. And I know John Youngbar does a good job with uh, promoting the game in Southern Oregon. So you're going to have a full field regardless, I feel like. So um, hopefully camping does happen and people can go have a good time because if you haven't experienced Southern Oregon 
disc golf trips, it's definitely a party and a lot of fun. So hopefully people will sign up and travel and it's definitely going to be worth it. For sure. So uh, with that, it is pretty late uh, Thursday night as we're recording this. So I think we'll probably jam out of here, but I hope everyone can get signed up for some events, get back into the grind. If you're not doing anything this weekend, hit up Jeff Corns or hit up Justin and get signed up for the Camp Serene event, but also just kind of look for some of the things that we've got moving forward. I know we both plan on running some events and definitely playing some. So I hope everyone has a good weekend and we will talk to you guys next week.